The program you are about to hear is fiction, science fiction. We make no guarantees, however, how long it will remain fiction. Welcome to the third episode of the Liberty Lifestyle Podcast. In this episode, Tyler sits down with Bill Church of the Free Your Mind Podcast to discuss his Liberty Lifestyle. Bill is an experienced dog trainer, truth seeker, student of the Trivium Method, and his podcast helps to bring out critical information used to free your mind. Tyler and Bill discuss various important topics surrounding the human condition, including social engineering, mind control, cannabis oil, community, healing, and seeking truth. Please subscribe to the Liberty Lifestyles podcast website and follow us on our social media platforms. Thank you for joining us on this journey. We look forward to having you with us in the future on Liberty Lifestyle Podcast. Giving truth the liberty of appearing. Alright guys, so we're going to welcome Bill Church onto the Liberty Lifestyle Podcast today. And we thank Bill for coming on the show. And it's he goes by Bow Wow Bill as well. And Bill is a truth seeker. And you can find his works where he hosts a podcast at the Free Your Mind Podcast at libsyn.com or just Free Your Mind Podcast in a Google search, you'll find it. And uh, Bill, we're going to uh, kind of get into a little bit more of your background at first if we can. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and go back as far as you'd like. Take as much time as like as you'd like. You know, where did you grow up? Well, thank you for having me on, Tyler. It's a pleasure to join you here, man. And um, anybody that wants to check out the podcast that I do, also just freeyourmindpodcast.com should get you there. Um, I, I grew up in Boise, Idaho. I was born on November 22nd, which is the anniversary of uh, uh, John F. Kennedy's assassination. And I was born in 1976, which is the bicentennial uh, celebration, the 200th year ce- celebration of... Uh, the United States of America, and my initials are William or WTC, which I think are funny because that you know kind of uh, also stands for the World Trade Center. I've always had just this drive to really, really dig beneath the surface, not take things at face value, to look into them, to do some investigation, and to also look towards stuff that might be viewed as uh, kind of the darker side of, of humanity. And, um, you know, I, was, I grew up in, in Boise. I was the only boy uh, in my whole family. And uh, in the extended family, we had 13 girls. And so I'm the only boy out of 13 girls. And uh, that gave me a lot of time to myself to do some <laughs> self-exploration. And, uh, but it also, uh, you know, gave me time to, um, you know, be okay with being alone, being by myself. But I've always wanted a friend. And and so I always begged my, my parents to get me a dog. And uh, when I was uh, eight years old, they get me my first dog. And, and I really, really hit it off with this animal. And, and uh, at 12 years old, I got another dog. And I learned how to really train this dog formally. And, and I decided right then and there, this is something that I want to do for the rest of my life. And so I have uh, d- devoted my life to training dogs. That's what I do for a living. I help people with uh, their dogs and um, love to work with my dogs as well. And working with behavior 
kind of gives you a unique insight on life and um, and especially conditioned responses and what what I saw uh, with the dogs responding kind of was reflected when I would ask people tough questions about social structures or anything uh, that might you know kind of make them think twice I was receiving these uh, conditioned responses from people and that got me really interested on what the heck is this coming from? Where where are these people getting their responses? It, it doesn't matter if if you are an old man or a young lady. If I had if I asked you, uh, for instance, um, if I brought up a subject about the police or order followers, or uh, you know, I would receive the same response like, "There's bad people out there. Um, we need we need these guys." Or or um, if you don't like it, then then get out. You know, just stuff like that that I would receive over and over again, and that really got me interested on how this world really works and what are the unforeseen mechanisms of influence in society that are causing people to not really think about the overall picture and the life that they live. Instead, you know, they're getting this canned response that is already positioned and and ready to uh ready for them to uh to say it and it just perplexed the hell out of me and um it just got me really really investigating into uh secret societies occulted information um you know stuff like that and, and once you start down that rabbit hole it's kind of hard to to stop and and so that's where i have you know found Many, many different teachers, you know, Mark Passio, Jordan Maxwell, uh, David Icke, um, Michael Tesserion, Freeman Fly, just to name a few. And uh, even Alex Jones has helped me out tremendously with uh, my waking up process and just seeing how this world really works. But, you know, as you start to unfold this, you start to realize that more people need to be speaking the truth. And that's what inspired me after attending uh, the Free Your Mind conference in Philadelphia a couple of years ago. I, I wanted to bring it back home and to start to produce my own platform and and to start, you know, talking about the stuff that I have learned about through the various years of truth seeking. And so that's what inspired me to start the Free Your Mind podcast. And we just recorded our hundred and second episode uh, this week with Bob Tuscan. And it's been a real pleasure. I mean, I never would have been a millionaire thought that I would have this podcast and starting to gain popularity. And I think that it's really cool that people are interested in this information. And, uh, you know, it just confirms that I'm doing the right thing and, and I will continue to do so. Excellent. Yeah, thank you for that. And you brought up a lot there. Uh, the fact that your birth date and all that and even your initials is quite significant. Um, the 200 bicentennial founding of America, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, 1976 is the year I was born. Right. Okay, great, and then the WTC, that is pretty interesting. And then the JFK birthday, um, every time you've brought that up on your show, I do quite uh, find that quite interesting. And did you just say you had 14 sisters growing up? Did I hear that correctly? Extended family. So we all grew up in Boise together and lived very close together. But extended uh, was 13 girls in the whole family. So my first cousins, my sisters, okay. as, as, and, and me as well. My grandma oh, would refer to me 
since I was the only boy in the whole family as number one before she passed away and went to heaven and and uh, I took you know a lot of honor and a lot of pride with that name that my grandma gave me <laughs> nice yeah the, uh, we have a lot of girls in my family too I see what you mean now yeah and then the the dogs and then the early childhood uh, dog experience that's quite interesting for where you're at now and and um, the conditioned responses that you brought up after that and I think working with animals we'll probably get into this a little bit later has helped you to kind of see something in, in, in human beings and also something that the social engineers uh, saw that they wanted to try to start to bring into their own little sick reality. Um, but then we also, the Alex Jones, you know, I, I don't mind Alex Jones. I watch Alex Jones a lot, but I, uh, as of late, he's g quite gone off the deep end. Something's going on there. Uh, we always have to be careful. Uh, you know, you can't just hold somebody to their old work and say their new work's going to be on point. We always have to still be paying attention to the stuff on Molyneux, Alex Jones phenomena. And uh, Free Your Mind podcast obviously has been tremendous work. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to talk about that more here because you've really brought on like a whole collage. <laughs> I mean, the, the name and, and where you're at at this point goes along perfectly because it's an entire tapestry at this point. And you really kind of have to strap in to go down some of the episodes. I even recently brushed up on a few. I've listened to all of the podcast, um, some episodes, multiple times. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, the other night, man, I you, one of the episodes where you had the lady on recently talking about the infrastructure and the EMP um, potentials and whatnot, I was seriously, I was in my basement seeding some uh, new seedlings for the next growing season and just sitting there kind of feeling like, wow you know this is this is powerful and, and at the same time her her not re not real depth on the issues either but before i go too far you know um let's back up a little bit and did you attend public school growing up yeah in fact i went to every almost every public high school in boise idaho until i found uh an alternative high school and so i ended up graduating from the alternative high school and I tell you, we <clears throat> I had a great time in that alternative high school because they were open, you know, to, to do things a little bit differently. They see that they have a group of kids that the public school model did not really work for them. And so they're they're trying to figure out how these kids can be educated. And and I really flourished, man. I, I saw things that were um, just kind of missing, you know, the void of, of a lot of things that could have helped with the learning with these kids, but also to build a cohesive group and learning uh, environment and uh, for instance one of the things that I helped implement uh, at the school that I was at and it was called Mountain Cove High School um, was was what was called a, a peer review process and so uh, we had a lot of these kids that were getting into fights and they were already in trouble with the law and uh, these kids were violent and uh, it was kind of a I don't know a culture thing we had some gang bangers and stuff like that there even in Boise Idaho <laughs> and uh, what I figured out was you know a lot of times these people that are in the position of so-called you know quote-unquote authority are the ones that that kind of can make problems escalate and that if we had a way to diffuse these problems without bringing it to the the you know authorities figure uh, attention then we would, uh, you know, not need to, uh, you know, deal with with uh, that problem as well as escalating. So, 
what I did was I, I uh, encouraged, we had a student body meeting where, where everybody was together and I said, look, we're going to have a Dropbox. If we ever see that there's a problem with, uh, that somebody's having a confrontation with another student, I want you to anonymously just put these guys' name in this Dropbox, okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to call them out and we're going to counsel them and talk to them as students and I was one of the one of the people that would be there at the meeting and we were, we're going to figure this out without without bringing anybody else into this and if if we couldn't figure it out then it was time to uh, you know go to the, the quote-unquote authorities uh, for, for more help but what we found out was the instances of violence decreased dramatically and uh, these people just needed to have a, a a way that they could address their problems and communicate together in a non-threatening, non-intimidating uh, type of environment. And, uh, and it worked out really well. And that just kind of opened my eyes as like, look at these guys that are supposed to be teaching us really don't have a clue a lot about a lot of these aspects uh, of, or a lot of these problems that we're facing. And, uh, you know, the solutions are out there. We just need to act and, and to use our brain and logically figure out situations and that's just one of the things that that uh, I helped at that high school that I'm very proud of that peer mediation program that we put into effect um, that dramatically changed you know a, a lot of people's lives and and uh, and and I think that you know we can take this further with uh, neighborhoods and and uh, communities all that kind of stuff if we really know what's going on and know the people around us and we're going to have a better understanding of our environment and uh, with that better understanding you know you're going to be able to uh, step step more more um, confidently and uh, and know the truth instead of um, you know buying somebody else's version of the event or or um, you know being marketed or um, I don't know being sold a lie does that make sense Absolutely. Yeah, that that's a great um, story. I'm glad you told that and that experience because, uh, yeah, um, there's a psychological term. I can't recall it off the top of my head, but like misplaced aggression or when, when you have the aggression that the outside influences are causing you to want to become aggressive. But if you don't have an outlet for that, any kind of outlet that could help to defuse it even, then that it will come out in some way. And so you kind of are like starting a smaller fire there uh, to, to take on the bigger fire, giving an outlet for it to take away from that uh, aggressive behavior that, that, will, that will ultimately result. Um, and before we go too far, I also better explain why we called you Bow Wow Bill in the beginning. So you want to just go into that a little bit? Bow Wow Bill is just the name of the, uh, the persona that I uh, under, undertake as far as my dog training profession. And so um, that is me. I'm Bow Wow Bill, and, and that's the business that I have here. And, um, yeah, so and, and just like what you were saying, like um, – this this mediation is exactly that it's a steam vent that allows the steam to be vented out before the pressure gets too big that we have something uh, catastrophic on our hands nice so uh what is meant by uh the secrecy uh, secret sorry secrecy is the enemy of healing oh man that's one of my favorite quotes 
and that's that's true you know secrecy is the enemy of healing the, the guardian of knowledge the guardian of anything is is a big problem in this world and uh you know that's why i'm so open with the information that i provide and i tell people even in the dog training world you know i am just a purveyor of information this animal is our expert you know, we need to look at them and their responses to see if the information that I just provided is true and is real. And, um, you know, secrecy is the enemy of healing is, you know, just something that, that we can take. And, and it talks also to, you know, counseling and, and being open with each other and, and not holding stuff down, you know, even if it's something that, that might be a little bit ugly, you know, to to talk about it, to bring light to it, to shine a light on it, you know, in the secret, in, in the dark is where, you know, the, the, the most evil shit happens, you know, and that's where they want to keep it secret. And if we don't know about it or choose not to know about it, then we're not going to heal from it. So that's what I, you know, I... I, I I take from that that quote secrecy is the enemy of healing I don't know where I heard it uh, originally so I don't know who to attribute it to or who it is to attribute it to but I sure do love it man and it's something that uh, I will continue to say I just know it yeah if there's an attribute I'll uh, do it in the show notes but I recently heard it just screening some of your podcasts and it stuck with me and thought you could elaborate on it thank you um, also this is switching gears, but tell me about your experience, um, because I know you've had some direct first-hand experience with cannabis oil and the healing effects of cannabis oil and kind of the surprising way you've applied it or seen it applied that most people might not have heard about. Absolutely, man. That's another, I'm a huge advocate for the, the medicinal uses of cannabis and uh you know, I, I actually found Rick Simpson. Episode number 73 of the Free Your Mind podcast is where I, I interviewed Rick Simpson. And, and I definitely encourage all your listeners to check out that episode that I did. It's one of my favorite ones because I really admire this guy, uh, Rick Simpson, because he was kind of the red pill that I took when I saw this cannabis, um, you know, this cannabis oil. And, and how it started, Tyler, was I was up here my wife has an autoimmune disorder she has severe rheumatoid arthritis and and uh, we were having a really hard time with it she was uh, in a lot of pain and whenever you're in a lot of pain that that really takes uh, you know center stage and brings it into the limelight and uh, we wanted to get her comfortable but I'm looking at all these pills that she's taken and it was uh, you know over 20 of them I think she was on like 24 pills and plus we were on a, an infusion we were being we were testing out a lot of these different drugs and stuff like that and and it just seemed like it was starting to snowball into something that was not good and finally one day I looked at my wife and she was gray like I was looking at her and her color was like void of of uh you know any like red or or it doesn't look it just didn't look good like she was she was looking kind of bad and and i finally had a realization i was like oh my god you are you you're dying this is this is not good if we're going to continue down this path and then, then you're not going to be here that much longer and and you know when i first married her i knew that she had um you know autoimmune disorder so i i kind of knew that i was getting into this and and i you know took a deep breath and and thought, you know what, okay, this is something that we're going to have to do together. And, and if you're going to die, then I want you to die with dignity. And so we went and we got her uh, a medical marijuana card here in Seattle. And, 
and uh, she, uh, we went and bought some marijuana, just some some plain flowers, the buds, and, and uh, I, while I, I remember being at the dispensary where we bought this marijuana app, they had this syringe, and uh, you know I was kind of turned off because it was a syringe, and uh, when you think of syringe, you think of IV drug users or something. And I was like, what the heck is that? And the guy was like, "That's Rick Simpson's oil," and and I, you know, didn't really think anything ab about it. I just went, "Huh?" And uh, we bought some weed, went home, and we partook. We smoked this weed, and it was fun. You know, as we started laughing, we we're watching cartoons, and, and you know, it was like, "Hey, this isn't this is bad." I feel like I'm back in high school, and and then all of a sudden, my wife started coughing, and she got into uh, uh, kind of a fit that. Uh, any time that she really coughs and jars that muscle or jars that body, and then her muscles could be spasming and and uh, could cause a flare up with her condition. And so I wanted to, you know, I, I it just kind of stopped everything right away. I was like, what the hell am I doing? You know, this is not good. This is something that uh, might worsen the situation, not make it better. And so I decided to do a little bit more research into that oil that I saw there. And so I remember thinking, okay, Simpsons, like Simpson cartoon. And so I typed in Simpsons oil. And then that's where I found uh, Mr. Simpson's show. It's called Run From the Cure. And you can watch it on YouTube. And if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend checking it out, where he talks about making the essential oil from this cannabis plant and applying it to... Um, different spots on his body that had cancer. He had skin cancer that was going to be cut out. And this oil started clearing up the cancer right away. And he had a head injury. He started taking it orally. And he started feeling way better, much better than any of these pharmaceuticals, uh, much more relief than these these drugs could provide. And then he started asking doctors and different people, why is this illegal? And they met, he he was met with animosity. He was met with... Uh, you know, there's no way that this doctor is going to believe you. And, and and the thing is, is that, you know, he was perplexed because this was the truth. And if we're not asking people to believe it, we're asking people to see it for their se themselves. But, um, you know, it's it's hard when so many people have an idea about something that is completely backwards, 180 degrees in the wrong direction. And I started to um, really, really, you know, do my research on this oil and, and uh, started to make it myself and giving it to my wife and, and man we started peeling away these pharmaceuticals and I mean today we were just out downtown running around together and and uh, you know she's looking wonderful and, and uh, we, we have our own garden and everything and long story short she's nothing compared to what she was on these uh, pharmaceuticals and it's just been a really you know, big learning experience for me. But, you know, when I started to do this, I, I noticed that as a dog trainer, I would have dogs come to me that I'm looking at their their medications and then they're on the same stuff that my wife was on. And so I started doing some research on this cannabis oil, giving it to the dogs. And, and uh, it affects them a lot differently than us, but it works the same way. And I started giving this oil to dogs with a variety of different ailments from cancer to epilepsy to neurodegenerative diseases, other stuff that uh, um, was uh, taken away from their quality of life, but also 
just end-of-life care for these dogs. And, you know, I saw some pretty dramatic results with these dogs. I had a dog come to me that was 10 and a half years old, and she was diagnosed with cancer, and she was given a year at the most to live. And now, I mean, the dog is still here. The dog's 15 now, no more cancer, running around like a mad woman, and she's she's doing great. And so um, I've done, you know, various seminars now and kind of borrowed the arena that I belong to with the dog industry and my colleagues and showing people, you know, sharing my observations and experience of this, you know, using this wonderful medicine, but also showing people how to make it themselves. And so they know either how to make it themselves or how to recognize proper oil that has been made uh, with with good technique. So they're buying the good stuff and uh, and then just start to educate people as much as possible. Start speaking the truth once you once you have experience, and especially through direct experience through gnosis. Uh, it's a totally different ballgame than just researching it or reading about it. When you see it with your own eyes, it makes it much more. Uh, real and so, um, but once you once you see it and once you know the truth, then it's you know kind of our obligation to speak it and to use our voice and to educate our fellow humans and and to show them, look at this is you know we we've, we've been sold a, of can of lies and this is this is the truth and let me show you the truth and don't just believe me, let me show it to you and then uh, and I also whenever I do these presentations, I tell everybody, do not believe a word I say, research everything I say. You know, we belong to a world that has experienced a technological revolution. And when I was interviewing Richard Grove from uh, Tragedy and Hope on my podcast, we spoke about the last six years and this technology that has been opened up to us. And I mean, I tell you, Tyler, I've learned more in the last six years than I have in my whole life. And, uh, you know, Richard said you know, something that I totally agree with. That speaks to the dynamic versatility of the human being and our willingness to, to learn and to change. And so that's why I do what I do and why I use my voice to speak truth, regardless of who believes me or not. I could care less if somebody believes me or doesn't believe me. In fact, I don't want them to. I want them to take the information that I provide them, use logic, and, and research it out on their own. Yeah, and that's a clear message that I want to also uh, keep repeating in this podcast as well, that that's not what I'm here doing either, is saying you need to believe this or this information is something that we all need to start believing. It's it's just uh, doing the due diligence of passing the torch down of information we've already tried to vet ourselves through processes like the Trivium Method and making sure that we're not passing bad information downstream so we'll do our best to make sure that we're passing good information downstream, but no one, you know, is is able to, to give away the responsibility for doing the research themselves. Uh, that's always your responsibility. And like you said, the more and more you do it, actually the more responsibility you have at that point to point out certain things um, to other people, especially when it comes to saving lives. Because if this information would have been brought to me sooner in my life, I... Know, I know people personally who are now uh, dead who definitely probably could have benefited from this information um, either through just, like you said, the, the pain aspect alone, but then the healing aspect. I mean, originally you were just looking to heal uh, your wife with uh, soothing her with p the pain. You said, hey, you know, if this is how it's going to be, let's see how we can make you more comfortable. 
And uh, is she still using the cannabis oil to this point to, to help with the autoimmune disorder? Or Yep, absolutely. In fact, I just made some more oil the other day, so we're, we're good to go. You know, and I think that this speaks to that that quote that I said earlier about the secrecy is the enemy of healing. You know, if we did, if we had this information open uh, to these people that you're speaking about that have gone to heaven or have passed away, that maybe they might be here with us. And and so that is, you know, that that is what I also mean by the enemy of healing. We need to get this out there so people not only can heal themselves, um, you know, psychically, but also uh, physically as well, and uh, and mentally too. So you know, it's just. It's um, it's walking that walk, and uh, most importantly, using your voice, no matter how shaky and nervous you sound, <laughs> you know, to, to use that voice to speak the truth and to, um, you know, to fall back on the, the greater good, which is, you know, all of us in humanity experiencing uh, our, our, our perception, our pinpoint of perception as we are right now. Yeah, and you said that was episode 73, the Rick Simpson episode? Yeah, I believe that's it. I can Yeah, we'll link it. that. Well, no, we'll link it in the show notes, no worries. Okay. And yeah, Rick Simpson oil, definitely look into that, guys. Well, and it, I think it's... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say Phoenix Tears uh, is Rick Simpson's uh, website. And Rick Simpson, what I love about him is that, you know, even though his name has been attached to this oil, it's also called um, Fetco Full Extract Cannabis Oil. Uh, Femco full extract medical cannabis oil, uh, cannabis oil. Uh, some people call it hemp oil, but that's come kind of um, a mislabeling because uh, people are are selling hemp oil that is not um, is is not medicinal. It's just like uh, like olive oil doesn't have the stuff that you need. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't sell the oil. He he basically gives away the information on how to make it yourself and that's what i wanted to do too yeah i had a friend who came into work all excited the other day telling me about a cbd oil he had found in a health food store and it had like a tiny 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 bit about like this stuff you're talking about like they're just kind of selling it as a as a hype thing now but what we're talking about here is completely different than that it's rick simpson oil and and rick simpson doesn't sell produce label patent market he the reason it got labeled Rick Simpson is by ch by chance someone else made that label and he didn't do that it just stuck and and so don't don't get caught there either that he's a snake oil salesman or something like that what bill said is the best thing to do is make it yourself at home and we're not talking about getting high here people we're talking about healing we're talking about actually having the power um to heal a lot of the things that are most likely going to start occurring in more and more of our lives than they already are absolutely but um we're, you know and this this is a medicine that has been taken from us um it has been intentional a lot of it a lot of it just un un uh knowing dupes just going along with the with the mainstream agenda um not like everyone who suppressed it is evil every doctor evil or something like that but if you look at Rockefeller medicine, if you look at the oil um, industry coming out of <clears throat> their reign and then getting into education and the medical establishment, you can see why they financially had the um, want to do it or the they, they justified it financially. If you don't want to go into the, the other aspects of it, that it's a eugenics agenda or that it has to do anything with that, you can at least you know see that there was a financial 
benefit to suppressing this medicine because we could be growing this in our own backyard, making our own medicine, and curing a cancer that comes up for $500 rather than a half a million dollars. Absolutely. Well, and you got to look at the juxtaposition of this time that it was made illegal uh, with the prohibition of alcohol and how they built up this large uh, mechanism of government to police the prohibition of alcohol. And when they uh, when they made uh, marijuana illegal, they just pointed that uh, monster, you know, led by Anslinger, Harry Anslinger, to uh, police the drug war and to start to uh, repurpose that from alcohol to uh, drug prohibition. And then we have, of course, um, you know, the polyester rope and the... Um, uh, the plastics industry, you know, there's so many things. And I recommend people reading the book, Emperor Wears No Clothes, to kind of give you an idea of, of how many, yeah. um, you know, uh, textiles and functions can be made from this wonderful plant. And and then we look at the medicinal aspect of it. And people, you know, they, they this plant is psychoactive. And you can OD on this plant, especially when you start taking it in, in concentrated forms. And so it's nothing to really mess around with whenever you start dosing out with this plant. And you literally are taking the, uh, the essential oils from marijuana buds. And so you want the THC. You want the psychoactive qualities there, you know. And people are are really, really gung-ho on the CBD right now. And that stands for cannabidiol, which is, I mean, it's a wonderful thing, but, you know, this plant is whole by itself. We don't need to extract one derivative from this plant and take that. We need to take the plant as it comes. It's it's good to go in its natural packaging. You just maybe condense it down and, uh, you know, dose it out. And the good thing about it is that you eat it. You don't smoke it. You eat it. You ingest it. You can apply it topically as well. Um, but if you look at the 1974 Stanford study that was done regarding THC and cancer tumors, you'll find out that THC, which stands for tetrahydrocannabinol, is what melted these cancer tumors. And, and THC is the cancer killer. And so to take CBD and think that you're going to get you know better, I'm sorry to say that that's not going to work. You need the THC. You need the stuff that is psychoactive, but you also need the stuff that is, uh, we recommend doing an indica dominant strain or, or pure indica uh, because it has a, such a sedative quality about it. And so it's going to knock you out, let your body repair itself while we sleep. Um, and so, you know, get, that's the importance of, of studying and doing the research on your own. So you don't take the wrong thing and, uh, you know, you know exactly what it is. So when it presents itself, you can choose choose the right path. Yeah, that's why I'm glad we gave it a little plug here, you know, and we'll continue to do so. Um, so last we spoke, you were attempting to grow all your own food, and so you, you didn't have to rely on other in, uh, sources of that. How's that going? It's going great, man. We actually just started planting. We just planted 32 varieties of, of tomatoes. Uh, we did some research here because we are in the Pacific Northwest during, uh, towards a coastal area, so we were having problems with our tomatoes uh, rot rotting on the vine and not turning red uh, when we needed them to. And so we found some varieties that uh, are Alaskan varieties and Russian varieties that we're going to be trying this year. Uh, we're planning out uh, our different crop um, schedules and uh, locations, and we have just had a meeting with our neighbors 
And uh, it's really cool, man. My neighbors, one of them has a tractor that has a rototiller on it. And so we, you know, we have started sprouting a bunch of seeds for them because we have lights and heating mats. And so they don't. And so we can kind of get a jump start on the program. And so we've started some stuff for them. And then they're coming over and they're going to, we've marked out an area that we need rototilled with that tractor. And so they're going to come over and do that tractor, bring it over to our property. And we actually broke down our fence and put up a neighbor gate. And so they can come over whenever they need to without jumping that fence. I didn't want them, you know, hurting themselves or anything. We're all getting older, you know. And uh, first thing that I did when I walk over, anytime I get a new piece of equipment, the first people that I tell about is my neighbors. And I say, I don't say to them, I got a new equipment. I got the new tractor. I got, I don't say that. I say we because they're more than welcome to any of this stuff, you know, and I want them to know that, you know, I will take care of whatever I, I borrow from them, but I want them to borrow stuff from me because this stuff has a task. This, this chainsaw is meant to saw things down. Well, guess what? Sometimes I'm not using it, but you need it. And so there you go, man, let it do the job that it's meant to do. And so I really like, I like the concept presented in the movie, The Zeitgeist about the resource-based economy. And so we're trying to put that into practice here and uh, not trying, we are putting it into practice here and it really, really helps out. It helps to, uh, you know, break down the fences between neighbors in the community, allows them to do more uh, with less because now we, we can borrow from each other. And uh, it's a really cool thing, man, but you have to get out there, you have to shake hands, you have to meet your neighbors and I encourage everybody who's listening here to, if you don't know your neighbors, you know, put out, you know, make a little... I don't know, a little bread or or some uh, banana bread, zucchini bread, whatever, and go out and meet them and give them a little gift and say howdy. And and uh, even if they're shitheads, or then, you know, at least they're your neighbors and now you know. And, and uh, uh, you know, you've all chosen to live in that particular area. And so you all have something in common. Yeah, that's awesome. And here in my local area, we're doing stuff with like freedom cells, trying to reach out to like a little bit more of the broader community and network with these little cells that work together towards like all this stuff, creating markets, creating trade, creating open communication and, and safety and emergency awareness and all this between neighbors who are just doing this under their own free will, no outside influence um, at all. You know, it's a decentralized way of handling our own problems. And um, I think the cannabis oil and agorism kind of has a link there, and I'll just kind of drop that hint. And uh, nextdoor.com and freedomcells.org, I would check those two sites out um, to find people in the local area that want to trade. I mean, nextdoor.com is like, hey, I have this. What do you? Who wants to trade? Um, and we're going to switch gears again and go into. A couple things here and I'm going to say a quote and then I'm going to highlight something that will link it in and that I want you to kind of elaborate on. Um, the quote, I know you'll like it, another one of your quotes. Um, Between stimulus and response there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And that was Victor Frankl. Yep, Victor Frankl from... Uh, and yeah. I also tie that in with, you know, what you understand about the Milgram experience, uh, experiment as well, though, you know. Right, so, and there, let me see if I could find... Um, 
there's a it's uh it goes a little bit further this quote does i wonder if i can find the full quote here so um you know victor frankel i definitely recommend people checking this guy out man he was in the holocaust he was in these uh these camps and he talks about his experiences uh during that time and uh he talks about how um how no matter what is happening to you that it is your choice to decide how you respond to that and in in a world that is full of reactivity that once the stimulus is presented people are already reacting to it hardly before the the sentence is even stated um, that you know it, it becomes automatic and that's where we start getting into this conditioned responses you know that um you know with with um with pavlov we had the dogs you know and the and any time that he would ring a bell then these dogs would start to salivate to uh to start getting ready for uh this food that they're about ready to get and that is a reaction based on a stimulus from their environment and if we had, you know, uh, an opportunity to stop and to really, really look at a situation, you know, that's what's important. Is not just to respond or react to it, but to actually choose a response that could, could better the situation or to help free people that might not be aware uh, of the prison that they're in. And uh, there is a longer quote here. I'm trying to type and, and talk at the same time. Nowhere is frustration aggression more apparent than in modern-day military training. In her study of Japanese atrocities in China, Iris Chang observed that Japanese troops were subjected to particularly severe abuse prior to their deployment. They were repeatedly slapped for no reason, humiliated in front of their peers, and reduced to a state of impotent rage. It was generally at this point that they would be given a bayonet and instructed to attack the enemy. He was portrayed as a subhuman animal. In America, the same techniques would be adopted with the emphasis less on physical abuse than verbal. probably washed our same clothes two or three times a week because that's basically pretty much what we had. I wanted people to see that, you know, this is where I come from and look at me now, I'm, I'm a Marine. I come from the poor side of, 
of town, you know, so anybody else could make it as well. You know, some type of motivation for my little brothers and my little cousins, something they, they could look forward to. Light them all up. Come on, fire! Hey, Roger. Keep shooting. Frustration aggression is one of the most effective ways of managing a population. By directing a person's rage against selected minorities or outside enemies, the true cause of an individual's frustration can be effectively diverted. Yet in many ways, the theory is a symptom of something deeper. In order to engender real hatred against a particular group, that group must first be feared. And it is in the realm of fear that behaviorism made its most disturbing contribution. Hobart Maurer, he would be called a neo-behaviorist, and he trained at the Yale Institute of Human Behavior. And he was quite unusual. I think his background was unusual, and he was also an unusually perceptive and sensitive man. And one of the first and most significant um, experiments he did was called a preparatory set, in which he had um, a, a human being lie down, or it, usually it was a student, lie down and be attached to electrodes that would deliver a shock whenever a light um, went on and then so he would shine the light and then shock the student and at that point several people elected to discontinue the experiment but those who persisted he would then vary the experiment by showing the light and then not shocking them or showing the light and shocking them he would sort of uh, make it unpredictable and he discovered that people's state of anxiety and uh, fear actually increased when the shock didn't come when they were just waiting for a shock to come or when they didn't know if a shock would ever come and he said it actually created a, an atmosphere of pervasive fear and, uh, and anxiety, and he even called it dread or terror. We have to remind ourselves that we are facing an enemy that is planning all over this world, and it turns out planning inside our country to come here and kill us. And he said that that atmosphere could be ratcheted up progressively the more the experiment continued and the more um, unpredictable the shocks were, so that after a while, the, when the shock came, the pain actually was experienced as relief and almost pleasure by the subject. He called it a nervous breakdown, or what he described in another part of the article as the ultimate demoralization of behavior. What he extracted from this experiment was the idea that there was such a thing as a coercive stimulus that could actually be used to create a, an environment of dread or terror or anxiety from a low to a high level, and that the scientists could actually, it was almost as if they were turning the volume on a stereo. They could um, decide how much of that atmosphere, how intense they would like it to be. Needless to say, a creature in a highly fearful environment will be eager to escape to a new environment. This includes human beings. Maurer suggested that new behavior patterns could be quickly created through his techniques. The prospect of creating new behavior patterns quickly and efficiently became an obsession during the Cold War, when the Central Intelligence Agency assumed dominance in the field of mind control experimentation.
During the Cold War, the national security state would take the logic of power to its logical conclusion. Known under the umbrella name MKUltra, mind control experimentation by the CIA would abandon any pretense to morality, leading to a nightmarish search for the holy grail of social engineering, a fully controlled, fully obedient human being. Uh, Victor Frankl says, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And then that, that leads into his quote of, you know, everything, or um, between stimulus and response there lies a gap, and in that gap it lies our, our choice, and uh, in our choice lies our freedom. And, you know, that's where... You know, with the Milgram experiment you were talking about earlier, and the Milgram experiment, to anybody who is not familiar, is the experiment uh, where it's a sociology experiment um, where these guys were uh, paid um, to go into a lab. They thought they took volunteers, and then uh, they would have this guy that was dressed in a, a white lab coat, look very formal and professional and he would tell these people what exactly they needed to do and basically they sat in front of this uh, this uh, machine and uh, the machine had all these levers and buttons on it and it, it basically they went over to the other room and they saw that there was another person there with electrodes on and in any time that they uh, had to read from this uh, this questionnaire and any time that these person in that room with the electrodes on got a question that they asked wrong, he would receive a shock. And then the next uh, question would be a higher shock. And uh, this lab or the, the dial that adjusted the shocks uh, was labeled, um, you know, where this person would receive a fatal shock. <laughs> and so uh, they wanted to see if anybody would take and shock somebody uh, fatally as long as there was somebody telling them what to do. And what they found out was uh, that 65% of people would go all the way, would would literally kill somebody else because somebody of, uh, you know, quote-unquote authority, what we're talking about earlier, told them that it was for a good reason. And uh, it's also, there's a great show on Netflix, I don't know if it's still there, but it was called The Experimenter, and they, they go into depth on this, and I definitely recommend people checking out that show. And, um, and during this, you know, there was uh, you know, one person uh, out, of, out of so many that would just stop and say, hey, look it, I'm not doing this anymore. And even though I don't care who's telling me I need to do it, I made the free choice to come in here and to take part in this experiment. I'm taking my free will and making the choice to get the heck out of here and say, no, I'm not going to participate anymore. And um, another aspect of the Milgram experiment was that they had, uh, once, once they started uh, getting a, a large pool of information, then they started to say, what would happen if somebody saw another person saying no to this? And they basically, you know, so they would have somebody watching the experiment from another room, and then they would see that somebody stood up and said no. 
and the numbers skewed dramatically where these people felt empowered that they would say no. And so the, the people that would um, go all the way went down to about 30%. And so it's very important for somebody to, to see somebody else being courageous because that will empower them to be courageous as well. And, uh, you know, bringing it back to Rick, Victor Frankl, you know, that's, that's one of our true freedoms, as, and that's why they call it free will, right? Because we have, we're not automatons. We're all individuals. And even though it might get uncomfortable to say no, that is the most powerful word in the English language, because now we have taken back our power from those that would say that they own us or they are controlling us or they are our masters that we say no and we're not going to participate in this um, program that is torturing another person or, or killing another person that we are going to stop think for ourselves not just react to, to somebody uh, of authority telling us what to do that we are going to take responsibility our ability to respond and to make the right choice, which is not to hurt another person. Yeah, and that's the difference between what uh, who you mentioned, Ivan Pavlov, and uh, the others behaviorists around that time, B.F. Skinner, uh, John B. Watson, were all realizing about animals and uh, took that and extrapolated it onto the social environments that we're now living in. And uh, the stimulus response mechanism is true for a human being, and that's, that has to be taken into account, that we are programmable in this way. And we can be exposed to things like operant conditioning that they were using on these animals and rats and um, babies and children. And these, these guys almost kind of had a sick interest in understanding that mechanism in animals and then extrapolating on how that could be used to control human beings and then comparing us in this way and unfortunately they've been very successful at creating a stimulus response environment through the media through uh, the indoctrination that we go through the fifteen thousand hours of public school um, the, the aspect of critical thinking is basically taken out um, of, of the individual's upbringing so they don't understand how to even critically think for themselves and you end up becoming uh, a servant to other forces that you don't even understand because um, there's a stimulus there that's, that's making you do things and they get you to believe that it's actually even good what you're doing which leads me to another quote and I don't know who to attribute this to either but we'll do it in show notes if there is one but that would be the road to hell is paved with good intentions mm -hmm. absolutely you know they, they and that's what they want they want people to think that they're doing good and they're serving a greater good by giving up their individualistic traits right and all this is is social engineering you know these guys are well funded and and it's very important to you know anybody that has a lot of money to trace back that money who's funding these people and what we're gonna find out is that you know a lot of the global elite that have vested interest in a docile population are the ones that are pumping money into these programs to find out how they can manipulate a large number of people and they know that people are good and they know that things get uncomfortable and and uh, 
and to stay, say no and to stand up is is not you know the most uh, you know comfortable thing to do. And then you, they're like, well, let's use you know other people to help us police the situation, and that's how they get it. Is is uh, they don't need somebody on every block when you have your friends and family that have bought uh, this this uh, program that they are trying to sell. They've, they've bought it, hook, line, and sinker, and now they're trying to be enforcers to keep you in line as well. And it's, I mean, just like, um, you know, um, Mark, um, what's Mark's last name that does? Devlin, Mark Devlin from the UK, who talks about uh, music and uh, the entertainment industry, how when we were discussing it, we kind of begrudgingly have to tip our hats off to these guys because they really have, you know, thought this stuff through and and uh, seen it work it's just it's just evil shit because they are taking that free will choice away from you and people are readily giving it away it's just they want to take to see how far they can get uh, these people to to go and uh, I, I definitely recommend people checking out a book called Walden 2 uh, written by B.F. Skinner and where they talk about Walden is uh, actually a, um, a compound where they have these these people that are living in a social engineered environment, the ideal environment, and it's pretty eye opening when you start to see how young uh, they want these kids and how how deeply ingrained with the the um, the conditioning they they have for these people, and and I mean even. The global elite, they refer to us as useless eaters, as uh, the profane, the walking dead. And so they look at us like animals. You know, they call us the vulgar masses. And, uh, you know, they think, even with this social engineering, I, I think that they think that they are doing good. They think that they're kind of watching over us, you know. Uh, but it's it's something that uh, it needs to be thoroughly investigated and and uh, when you start to see you know the mechanisms of control that are present that it, it it's kind of mind-blowing you know because you, you know, but it's also a double-edged sword too because once you're awake to it then you start to want to waken up others to it and you see how deep the indoctrination goes and it, and that's where it gets heartbreaking because the people that you love uh, you find out a lot of times that they love their slavery, and that's that to me is very sad because we're here to experience and and to uh, grow and you know not to be uh, you know the whipping boy of some global elite uh, higher class. We are here to uh, experience, live life, and create. We are all creators here. Yeah, so what do you think about fear is the mind killer? Yeah, absolutely. In regards to that. Fear is the mind killer. You know, when we're afraid, it shuts off parts of our mind that are not going to allow us to really, really grasp a situation for uh, the, the, true, the true nature that it is. And some of these situations really take some depth and really take a lot of contemplation. And in order to do that, we need all access to our brain, including to the outer buffer layer called the neocortex or the prefrontal cortex that allows us so many more capabilities with our thought process um, that these animals do not have. And that's the hole in the program, too, is that 
you know, when, when we are in fear, we are basically using our mammalian brain, our limbic system. And that's where we are susceptible to this type of conditioning is by just speaking to that limbic system. And that's the, the animals that have been the result of all of this um, philosophy that they use uh, with behavior control. That's all that they have. That's the only part of the brain that they go to is to that limbic system. And so when you shut off that, that other aspect, that prefrontal cortex, we're basically dealing with you know, a, a, an animal that is in the same thought processes of, of a lower consciousness being. And that's what they want is to uh, have people in fear. And not only that, but you're more likely in fear to react than you are to reason through a situation. Reasoning takes that contemplation, takes that left and right brain modality and, and merges them together. And so we're not just reacting, we're not just emotionally responding to something, we're using logic to piece it together so we can make the right choice based on the information and, and that which is. Uh, which is. Absolutely. Like you said, um, I think that quote sums it up great. Fear is the mind killer because if they can keep you in that base consciousness or even you just keep yourself there um, through uh, not wanting to look into new information, not wanting to open up, so you, you kind of keep yourself in a little bubble, um, it, it becomes the mind killer and, and you become uh, suspect or uh, you become victim to this stimulus response uh, much much more easy for them to implement that on you if, if you're in this fear modality and and we talk about the three tiers like you said mammalian uh, a reptile mammalian and in our human brain with logic and reason happening there mostly and so if we're not using the higher aspects of our consciousness and uh, we're just operating in the in the in the reptile brain, which is there for a reason, and, and we should use it, and it, it's there for a good reason, but that can't control us, that can't rule over us to the point uh, where we're not even um, able to take that time to create the space to uh, think a little while, and I, I play around with this a lot because there's lots of times where I need to react to something, or I feel like I need to react to something, so I intentionally create that space, and it's amazing what happens when you when you start practicing that and and you can just do it on a daily basis even with with little things that feel like you really need to react to it and just create some space just as a, a practice just to try it out and it's amazing what just trying it out does even you know for me anyway yeah and you're absolutely correct you know and the thing is is that when i tell people that we're working with the animal uh with a dog the number one mistake that people make when they are working with a dog is by anthropomorphizing the dog or putting human characteristics on this dog. And I have to remind them that we as human beings have this capability with our thought processes that to, to put this on the dog is actually a disservice to this animal because they're not even capable of that. And so we instead have to become the dog by proxy instead of labeling our own characteristics on this animal and that's where we start and it, and I get it you know it's, it's very easily to understand something when we can see it through our own perception does that make sense yeah absolutely yep and, then, and uh, go ahead well as I was going to say the social engineers know that the brain doesn't know the difference between stimulus that is um, real 
and stimulus that is has been uh, simulated, right? And so I recommend people, there's a couple books that I recommend, Inward Tennis and Inward Skiing, where they take uh, fMRIs, functioning, functioning um, MRIs, and they're scanning the, the brains of these people that are athletes. And they uh, also did it with the bobsled team, where they actually took this MRI and they put it on the bobsled team and they had them do their run. Uh, with these portable MRIs so they can map their brain during the run, right? And so then they came back into the the science lab and they said, okay, now I want you to sit in this chair. I want you to, to close your eyes and visualize the run with your mind's eye, so to speak. And what they found out, Tyler, is that the exact same parts of that brain lit up you know, as they were visualizing this run, then then if they were doing it for real, and what this taught the scientists is that the brain does not know the difference between simulated or real, and so a lot of these uh, engineered uh, fear-provoking uh, stimulus in our environment is simulated, so like money, right, and and being short on money for rent or, or paying your bills, you know, imagine how much fear that evokes and that's just an abstract concept that requires our belief to be real. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a huge, huge aspect of this social engineering is to, to, to make things that are uh, fear evoking and to, will, will keep people from accessing all parts of that brain because they want them in fear. They want them to um, to be worried and wary about, um, you know, speaking out, venturing out, or, or becoming their own person. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely like how it's done, really. When you get down to it, that's the main aspect. Um, I'd like to bring up a book here, Bill. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe not, but it's uh, Mass Control, Engineering Human Consciousness by Jim Keith. Yes, I've heard of it. I have not read it. In fact, I need to um, write that down by Jim Keith here. I know I have that in my yeah. Amazon. Um, well, it goes a lot into a, a, what you were just talking about, which is just kind of like the social conditioning level of this whole uh, fear mechanism or just the kind of the constraints that are put on people now in a much more mental way than it used to be in into organized society it used to be much more direct even to the point of kind of direct chains and whips and shackles slavery to now it's more of a free range uh thing that i like to call it like a we're, we're like open range free range cattle getting we're, we're allowed to graze on the grass but we're still you know right now we're even talking about building a wall around our country, around this country, so, uh, sorry, not our country, around this country, building a wall uh, to keep us in and, and kind of even bringing in more of this Orwellian uh, state, uh, animal farm type situation, you know. Absolutely. You know, we can, we're allowed to eat the grass, but when we go back to the stables, what are they spraying that grass with? You know, it's something that there are always unforeseen um, mechanisms of influence and and, uh, you know, just the belief that we are free is exactly what they want. And so just like all of this, uh, you know, these conveniences that we have, you know, I have this little box in my pocket that gives me all these answers. It allows me so much 
access to you know all my friends and uh, you know the, say, the the social networks of Facebook, the Reddit, um, the Twitters, the Instagrams, the Snapchats, all that stuff is fun and cool. And it also gives me a feeling that I'm free to do whatever I want. But, you know, what happens when you start seeing your posts being taken down or start being uh, banned from a particular site because somebody reported, you know, it's just an illusion. You're not really free. You are on somebody else's platform. You are on somebody else's land. And, and as long as you behave and act like a good little slave, then you are going to be okay. And But once you start, uh, you know, making waves and and you start to get noticed and that's where uh you know you you uh are starting to be pushed uh, away and and it is about control it's it's about this uh you know the panepticon this uh this point of um of leverage that these people that that hold the positions of power the powers that should not be have and um yeah it's just as long as we are buying what they're selling then we're good to go they'll they'll continue to produce it and and uh it also goes you know in the entertainment with football and with uh sports and i mean college sports and you know it's just crazy to me that these houses of supposed to be you know education uh the most of their budgets are for these uh child's games and um, you know, I, I see the value of it. I see that it is just like we were talking about how it's a steam vent and how I was talking about the peer mediation program that I put in that high school, how it was a steam vent that didn't allow this to build up to a situation that we had a volatile situation on our hands that, you know, this is the, the, the tribal steam vent for, uh, that's what football is. You know, it allows people to get their, um, you know, their kicks off voting for a team and associate something that, you know, could, uh, if it wasn't there, possibly mean warfare, you know, the tribal sex that they get into. So I do see some value to it. It's just not, not good when people put so much emphasis and put so much of their energy into this situation or into these uh, models of distraction and uh, I hear a quote that if people just took, you know, about 10 or 20 percent of the passion that they have for their local football team and applied that to their community, you know, that would change the world almost overnight. You know, when we look around at who we, who we can serve and volunteer, go help some people that, that might be underserved or, uh, you know, getting old and, and not be able to do things like uh, they used to, that you know, this could help them and uh, help us along the way as well. But as long as we are distracted and have all these conveniences, we need to realize that these conveniences can also be used to further enslave you as well. Yeah, absolutely. And how how they can distract you from also doing uh, creative work. And I think you're someone who, you know, I've kind of followed your work for a while, and I see that you spend a lot of the free time that you have not um, watching college football, maybe you're into it, maybe you're not, but more or less <laughs> getting your hands uh, right there in into the dirt, really, literally, um, and among many other things, and you're kind of, you know, kind of like what we all should strive to be at this time with all this technological power, kind of like Renaissance people, Renaissance men, you know, with many aspects to ourselves that we're 
uh, developing and not putting that energy into the mind control, into the distraction, into the bread and circuses, into the politics, into the fear-mongering and the, um, the overall just like you were trying to explain earlier and you did a good job which is like a full spectrum dominance coming your way and so why give that any more attention than you have to um, and put it into doing things that are if you want to create a better society you know the actions that need to be done to take to do that are like you said uh, little acts of kindness and community and building uh, networks of people that are like-minded these these are all things that sound simple enough and and it is hard work to get into that but then that becomes a feather bed you know that you fall into it's not that you have to go protest and march capitol hill and uh in the federal reserve and all these things it's it's what you just said it's those things and it's a lot of the examples that you've shown us uh the things that you've done in your own life and one of those things more recently, and, and you guys should go check out Bill's uh, Facebook videos of him just um, making these glass sculptures. Bill, tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> you know, and, and know that that this is real. You know, when you're out talking to your neighbors, when you're out meeting people in your community, that's real. You know, that's not simulated. You know, you're not spinning your tires in a simulated environment, getting all wrapped up with politics or with you know this this uh, football team that you have no clue who these people are, but you can you can ramble off every stat about where they're from, all their tackles and touchdowns and all this stuff, and 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 you know these people and know more about them than you do about your own community. And to me, that just is is perplexing the hell out of me because this is real. You walk down the street and boom, there's there's that person standing right there in front of you. Get to know them. Don't get to know the persona that is being projected for you. Get to know somebody for real. And, you know, get out, reach. And, and you know, we also have to realize that we come from a creator. And in doing so, we are many creators, right? And so we're here to create. And we're here to do art. And we're here to be vulnerable and we're here to experiment and that's what I have chosen to do what you know the glass thing I've been doing since uh, May so I just started it in May I started I dabbled on it a little while ago I have a lot of friends that really really they do it for a living they blow glass and uh, the catalyst that, that made me start and build my own studio and start to learn on my own was one of my friends, uh, actually, he passed away. He uh, surprisingly committed suicide. And I had no clue. I was talking to him earlier that week. And, and even now, it's have, it has a dramatic effect on me. I mean, it's still, I'm still, and I don't think I ever will be, quote unquote, over it, you know, but it's made me... It's made me realize, you know, a couple things. One, that, that life is, is very short. And, uh, and two, we just don't know the battle that our fellow humans are, are going through. And, uh, you know, that helps us realize that when you reach out to your, your, your network and you talk to them and get to know them. Um, and then I wanted to take my broken heart and transmute it into something beautiful. And so I chose to make art. This this gentleman that uh, his name is Maya, 
and he was one of my best friends. I love him, and I always will, and I uh, can't wait till I'm on the other side when I die and be able to be reunited with him again. But, And I have a huge poster in my art studio where he watches over me, and I can feel his presence sometimes, and, and I'm very thankful for that. But, you know, take, and that, that also goes on to that quote that we were talking about earlier about Viktor Frankl, it's not what happens to you. You know, we can be upset, and we can be depressed and get on all these antidepressants, anti-anxiety or psychotropic drugs that are out there. there you know, there's lots of things that are out there that are going to make you shut this off, but that's not the point. You're meant to feel it and you're meant to go through it. And it's not what happens to you, but how you respond to it is your true freedom. And so I have chosen to create art with my broken heart. And that's what I do every single day. If you dedicate one hour a day to a task. At the end of one year, you have just worked nine 40-hour weeks on that task. And so you've worked nine or two full, over two full-time uh, months just on that task dedicated, just by working one hour a day. And so you start to see how, it, it, how when you chunk it down, how it's easier. And then you start to learn and you, you see that the medium that it, whatever medium you're working with whether it be glass whether it be music if you're creating music if you are drawing if you're painting you know you're going to learn different techniques based on your mistakes and being vulnerable and you're not going to like what you produce at the beginning or you might you know you might have something that is uh you know you might be very talented at it but even if you do like it you still strive to make it better and that's what I do every single day, is to push myself on that torch to do things, you know, first off I wanted to do things that I thought were really cool, like vortex marbles and dot stack marbles and stuff like that. But now that you get them, then you just start to do it better, and you start to do it over and over and over again. One of my other favorite quotes is, repetition is the mother of all learning. And that's the, the, the case, is that whenever you're dealing with behavior or whenever you're dealing with learning something on your own, you want to do it over and over and over and over again. And that wires your brain. Those neural connections in your brain become eight-lane superhighways until you can really, really start to you know, do this almost in your sleep and you develop muscle memory. And you know, So that's what got me started with that medium. I also like to... Um, I like to play, I have a Native American flute, I like the sound of it, so I went and bought a bunch of them and taught myself how to play that, and I, I love to play that. I look at uh, working with my dogs as an art, and so uh, there's science based behind it, but there's also an art aspect to it as well. And um, even, even working with these dogs, they've taught me a lot of the holes in the programs that these behaviorists uh, put forth, you know, like Skinner. Uh, B.F. Skinner, his, uh, his, his program was uh, done in an acoustic chamber called the Science Lab. And when we start to uh, delve out into the world that is rich with external stimuli, then, then his philosophy kind of goes out the window. And that's what I was seeing, is that I was doing all these clickers and stuff with the dogs. But once we, you know, it worked fine in the house, in the living room, or on our own property or something where the dog was completely comfortable, but once we started venturing out into the world, the dog, it was like all this training, quote-unquote training, went out the window because the stimulus was greater than, uh, than, than the motivation. And so, uh, you know, that, that made me ask, why? Why is this happening? 
why isn't this dog responding the way that he is supposed to be responding um, according to Skinner? And, um, and you start to, you know, learn based on experience. You start to learn by doing. And uh, knowledge through that experience is, a, is, is the true and, uh, you know, the best way to learn, in my opinion. Wow, that was absolutely beautiful. I mean, from where you started there and where you left off, I don't even think I could really contribute to it. Um, I, I will say, though, that I've seen, like, YouTube videos and whatnot of a dog in an environment where, like, a kennel or a, a, a city kennel, you know, where they get picked up or they're there as a stray pickup or whatever. And in that environment, the dog is, you know, mean, aggressive, um, abnormal abnormally aggressive you know um towards everyone around them and then even just you know i don't remember the exact amount of time that goes by when they get the, uh, a certain person takes them out of that environment and shows them love compassion care uh warmth a nice meal and all these things um and the dog is like completely not even the same whatsoever it's, it, it's completely different yeah, absolutely. You know, I've experienced that as well. You know, but it's also, you know, it's it's a balance too. You know, that dog needs to know also the structure and the routine and the boundaries that are in place there too. So if we have a dog that comes home and the dog has free reign and, and runs out into the, to the garage and smells this really good smelling stuff called antifreeze and decides to, to drink some of it, then we're going to have a bad problem in our hands. So we have to show the dog... Um, you know, that, that we're bringing into the human world, you know, what we expect, but also, you know, to, to reinforce the good behavior and to correct this bad stuff. And, and that's where, um, you know, it's important to, to watch that dog. But yeah, absolutely, man. People, people don't realize that the people that originally uh, designed a lot of these dog pounds, the dog shelters in municipalities are the same people that design the the jails and the garbage dumps <laughs> you know they'd come through they'd be like okay let's design jails garbage dump and then the pound and so they would borrow a lot of the same uh, design aspects from that and so absolutely it, it would invoke a fear response and just like with with uh, human beings you know when that when that animal's afraid they're going to be acting a totally different uh, we're going to see a totally different set of behavior than if the dog is much more comfortable in an environment. The dog is much more open and, and willing to venture out of their shell to to kind of uh, you know experiment a little bit to see what this place is all about. And uh, you know that's not going to happen when when they are scared out of their mind. And not only that, but now they're surrounded by you know a bunch of dogs that are scared out of their mind to reinforce this fear. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's good stuff and it ties in, you know. I think that dog training has given you a certain glimpse into that world that other people don't get that other people don't get to see. And it, I've worked with dogs, my own dogs, but obviously not to the degree you have whatsoever. And yeah, I didn't mean to leave out that obviously there's some dogs that they're going to be in that condition and be affected permanently and it's not like you can just fix them by taking them out of that situation. So some dogs I mean, I, I wouldn't want to speak over what you're saying as, as the expert on the subject, but, you know, obviously it's not a blanket statement that you just give them love, compassion, and care, and they're going to come out of it, as we see with human beings as well. There's the ones we can find that are willing to discuss and open-minded and, and can see it in your eyes that you're coming from that uh, 
angle as well. And then there's others that that that's a threat, and that's that's something that they're going to shut down and, and react negatively to. Um, so human beings and dogs are like each other in that way, but not the same. And that's that's a big difference, you know. We have to point out. But Bill, you're you're well read, well uh, studied, and speak about your philosophy and your life uh, quite well. Can you list some books, and I hate to put you on the spot like this, but some books that you think would tie into this discussion, you know, not necessarily your favorites, unless they are, but some books that you have read, um, you know, just a couple that ties in or that have changed your life significantly that you feel like were were big impactors for you. Absolutely. So we have, uh, of course, we have uh, Carol Quigley. Um, let me see. I probably have. Yep. Hold you look at that there. Right here, I have a big bookshelf here. Sorry. Tragedy and Hope. Yeah. <laughs> so I got a oh, yeah. big, big old copy of the Tragedy and Hope here. So uh, if you haven't read that, I definitely recommend reading that. Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, that's Viktor Frankl, and that talks about his experiences in the uh, concentration camp. Okay. Um, definitely, we have The Creature of Jekyll Island. I like that one. It talks about uh, the Warburgs and the setting up of the Federal Reserve. Um, a lot of this, I'm just looking around at my bookshelves here, you know, because uh, yeah. I have them all right here, you know. So then we have uh, Emperor Wears No Clothes, which I have right here as well, which I spoke about earlier. Um, right here, Emperor Wears No Clothes. And the cool thing about The Emperor Wears No Clothes is that if you look at my bookmark in here, there's one of my bookmarks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, an old, old, uh, big So that's old. not the, the childhood story then, that's an actual... Yeah, this is by Jack Herrera, and Jack Herrera is actually the guy that uh, labeled the cannabis oil Rick Simpson oil. Uh, he's a buddy of Rick uh -huh. Simpson, and Jack has passed away, but... Uh, yeah, it's uh, and this one is uh, they have on the back here. It says a hundred thousand dollar challenge to the world to prove us wrong. And this thing was um, originally published in. Uh, oh yeah, here we go. I got uh, a signed copy from Mr. Herrera right there. So love that. And that was back in 02, 2002 when I got that signed from him. Uh, I believe this thing was copyrighted in, uh, oh, geez, 1998, it looks like. So it's, uh, nope, first printing was in 1985. This book has been around since 85. So Emperor Wears No Clothes. Um, yeah, I've heard of that now that I think about it. Actually, from the Peace Revolution, I believe. Yes. Um, and uh, Jan Irvin, I believe, has... Uh, used to promote Jack Hare's work or is associated with him in some way. Yeah, yeah, he worked with um, him, actually. We talked about that. I just had Jan on the podcast there. Um, yeah. We have uh, John Taylor Gatto, who is an amazing man. Here's a book by him. Um, this one is called Dumbing Us Down, and I recommend anything. By yeah. <laughs> there we go, Weapons of Mass Destruction. <laughs> yep. Yep, so we got uh, John Taylor Gatto. I, I mean, there's so many books, man, that we can go through. I'm just kind of touching on the surface here of, of essential reading. Um, Weapons of Mass Instruction by John Taylor Gatto. God bless John. And then um, what was the one that, that Mark mentioned um, 
on oh none dare con- call it conspiracy that's a mm. good one that one's a pretty pretty quick read i definitely recommend checking out the quadrivium uh, which is a uh, wooden books um you can get that on amazon and that talks about uh, the ancient uh, uh art of numbers and we also have the trivium um mm-hmm. yep there you go yeah. yep and uh, you know the trivium is is uh, wonderful, and, and actually wooden books uh, just came out with the trivium as well, so I definitely recommend that. Oh geez, what else am I always? Well, find here's this? one. Um, yeah, what do you got? Because I want to. No, 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 no. I was going to say one that you uh, read on your podcast that I think would be good oh, to bring yeah, up. Oh yeah, yeah, Jeremy Locke, man. Go ahead. No, you you talk about it, yeah. So, End of All Evil is definitely something worth reading. And I'll check on Amazon right here because I'm always checking. I want to get a hard copy of this book, and I'm thinking about just making some from uh, the PDF. But Jeremy Luck, yeah, I think that... uh, The PDF you can find, yeah. Yeah, PDF is all over online. And not only that, but in uh, the the Free Your Mind podcast, uh, Doug and I, we actually read the whole book uh, on that. Mm-hmm. On the on various podcasts, and we have uh, one uh, paperback book uh, for going for a thousand dollars. We have three available on Amazon. One is for one thousand. We have one for uh, twelve hundred forty nine dollars, and then we have one for almost eleven thousand dollars here. So, um, hey. it's 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 definitely a, a great book, man. And uh, and I like the simplicity of it. It's a short book, but it talks about what freedom is freedom is the infinite value of the human being and evil is anything that that goes against that you know and it mm-hmm. starts to change the way that you look at that at the world around us so definitely recommend that one thank you for that for suggesting that one um what else yeah. oh geez i don't even have my my books that are in my my other room i got one two three i, I read a lot man i no worries i mean that's i yeah i know you do and i that's a good start you know really um the idea is is to take in a whole holistic approach to your gathering of information as in the trivium method uh you know the grammar phase means you take in all the available facts well uh guess what we live in a world with infinite amount of information that you'll never be able to get through in this lifetime so if you're trying to learn you know the truth of a matter or at least get as close to that as you can you know we we do need to spend a lot of time taking in all the available facts from all the great researchers who have spent all their time um, passing along the knowledge that they've been able to document and it is documented you know a lot of the time people go down the rabbit hole a little bit with the stuff we've been talking about and start oh what's going on what are we gonna do oh no but but really I mean the, the good news is is that there's people out there who understand this stuff a lot better than you do to the point that you're at and they've written it down and documented it and there are solutions and good people out there to reach out to and I think Bill that you're one of those people that's doing that great work, you know, and along with the great work, and I don't need you to go on a long definition on that, but give me, we've been kind of wrapping these podcasts up with your uh, message that you want to archive here, because a lot of the time, you know, we're going to make an audio version of this and a video version, and try to keep it up on YouTube as long as we don't get taken down, you know, that we live in a world now where uh, you start to do any kind of information putting out, and suddenly you could get just all your videos taken down one day for no reason whatsoever 
But, you know, these videos and archives of audio that will be produced here will be ongoing on the Internet as long as I'm able to keep, you know, the hosting services running and the bills paid. Um, so what's your message to people like you and I who are on a journey at a different level than we are on a path somewhere along the way who may come along these breadcrumbs and pick them up and, you know, what can you give to people in the future as an idea for how to kind of deal with that anxiety they may be feeling from an overwhelming amount of information coming at them all at once? Well, that's a great question. And, and, and you know, there's it's pretty heavy. I mean, and that's the thing is that they the powers that should not be don't want you looking at this stuff. They want you to be intimidated by it. They want you to be... Uh, have a, a panic attack and say, you know what, it's much bigger than me. I can't do anything about it. Go back to sleep. I'm going to go, you know, just do stuff that I like. You know, keep digging and keep it up and get yourself involved with the network of people that actually care and, and really, really care about truth and, and knowledge and and don't really have an agenda, you know, and don't want to be your guru. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be anybody's guru. I, I, you know, I love my wife and I love hanging out with my dogs and, you know, I love living life, but uh, I also love, love humanity. And I want to see other people loving their lives, you know. And, and um, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in these uh, simulated um, arenas, like I was talking about earlier, with, um, you know, the social media or football or anything like that, where you think that you're doing, doing a lot, but you're really spinning your tires in causality. So, you know, educate yourself and, and uh, you know, listen to your intuition and, you know, but try to stay calm and be, be kind, you know. And just like uh, we had a gentleman, Robert Stanley, on the program who has uh, the three, three things that you need to do to fart, to fart. <laughs> <laughs> right that yeah <laughs> to fight the the archon influence of this earth and or uh, fart or fart then, yeah you know? <laughs> yeah fart might work too but uh, you know be kind be calm and be creative you know those are the three things that whenever you're starting to feel overwhelmed starting to get into this re reactive modality to take a, a step back and to observe and to take a sorry i got a phone thing here and to um, take a phone? No, yeah, it's my grandpa calling me. Uh, love you, grandpa. But you know, and and to to keep it up, you know, even even if even if everybody around you thinks that you're a nut job, you know, that's the good thing about belonging to a network of people that you know get it, that you have uh, a community that you can fall back on, and and that's why. I started the Free Your Mind podcast is because I love the community that I met when I went to the Free Your Mind conference that I wanted to keep this energy alive. And so I wanted to start to speak about it and to introduce the world to various people as well, um, just so we can, hold on one second, uh, just so we can, uh, you know, reach out even further and start to increase this network. You know, our network is our net worth. And we have to realize that, you know, tap into it. But also realize that it's an ebb and flow situation. You're going to need time to process. You're going to need time to contemplate. You're going to need space that you can allow this information to really, really get itself pieced together. 
And that's what's good about having an eclectic knowledge base, you know, is, is uh, you're going to see you know, some, some of it's going to be a breadcrumb trail to one place, and then you're going to be turned on to a totally different set of, of authors or reading or, you know, any of that stuff that um, might change your life pretty, pretty significantly. The new information, once it's presented, then it's up to us, you know, if we're going to act on that. And, um, you know, there's... There's, there's so many teachers out there, and we all have something to teach each other, and we all have something to learn from each other. And so that's the other aspect of it, is to be open. And don't just be decided. To be, you know, to, to sit there and know, I know, you know, everything that I can't know anymore, then you're dead in the water. You know, you're... you're um, my grandpa's given, not given up. <laughs> uh, you're dead in the water. You know, you're, you're waiting. You know, you're, you, you, come, you become kind of um, vulnerable, and, uh, but not in the good way. You want to uh, continue to learn and continue to evolve as you do uh, access and, and um, process this new information. And, um, you know, a couple other books, too, that I'm looking up here that I definitely recommend are... Uh, primary Perception uh, by Baxter, and then also anybody on the behavioral front that wants to know anything with uh, Skinner that might raise some doubts with the actual um, trueness of, of the philosophy that he presents, uh, Biological Boundaries of Learning is definitely another good one. That one is, is a hard one to come across as well. It's a very expensive one on Amazon. Um, I think it's around twelve hundred bucks right now, but uh, I hope that answers your question. Does that? Yeah, that was excellent, and I'm going to have to spend some time on ABE books after this interview. I think, um, and during the editing process while I'm listening to this, I'm going to go through and, and probably source some of these books and get them on my, in my collection. Um, well, and know that there that this technology too. Like I, I love audio books too. Like I can read them, but I also can listen to them as well. And so, if I'm working with a dog or out on a dog walk or something like that, I like to listen to an audio book. And there are some apps out there. One is called Voice Dream, and I, I have an iPhone, so it can, it's on the iOS. But uh, I think that the Android system might have one as well. And this application will read out loud PDFs to you. And so if you can find a PDF version, oh, wow. like, uh, like that End of All Evil by Jeremy Locke, if you find a PDF version, you plug it into this app, and it will read it out loud to you. Then, and also check YouTube. There's, um, like I said, there's, there's lots of, of great teachers out there. Um, but it, the, the key is, is to, to find them, to learn from them. Um, if you're going to be friends, then be friends and, and stay in touch. But... Don't get caught up with, with one particular person. You know, advance and move on and, and learn, learn, learn as much as you can. Great, Bill. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. And I, I really appreciate the time you've spent here, a couple technical glitches along the way. Um, but, you know, you've been more than patient. And, and you know, I appreciate your, your time, especially um, with all the stuff that you've got going on, you know. And uh, good luck with your growing season this year and, and your dog training. And um, tell us, you know, we have mentioned some sites in the beginning where people can reach you, but just remind where people could reach you if they wanted to or even uh, come and support your work by sharing it or donating or how they could do that. 
Yeah, freeyourmindpodcast.com is, is probably the best way. I mean, we also have a Facebook page of the Free Your Mind podcast. Uh, there's a couple Free Your Mind podcasts. The one with uh, All C and I with the great work, Truth, Love, and Freedom, uh, is the one that you want to follow. You can message me on there. Uh, freeyourmindpodcast at gmail.com is a way to get a hold of me. Uh, you could also find me through my dog training site, Bow Wow Bill. Uh, I have a Facebook fan page uh, uh, that as well, bowwowbill at gmail.com is another way to get a hold of me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a real honor to be here with you, and uh, I appreciate your patience as well. I got stuck in traffic and had to push back our start time quite a bit. So uh, I appreciate you, and I appreciate what you're doing, and I encourage you uh, to keep this up and, and to, uh, you know, keep talking to people and, and, and uh, putting out the information that this world desperately needs uh, to set humanity free. So thank you very much, man. Excellent. Well, we'll probably look to have you on the show again in the future, Bill. And again, just really appreciate uh, you coming on the show and have an excellent evening. And thank you. Anytime, man.